Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. So glad you could make it back this week to The Last Symptom audio show. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator of The Last Symptom. I saw a couple of people last night that I haven't seen for a while. It was in a dream. I was together again with my ex-wife, Diana, and my longtime best friend, Jordan, who was killed in a car crash in 2005, also made an appearance. I was at some hospital with Diana, visiting somebody who was apparently a patient there. And I had dropped her off at the front door, my my ex-wife. And then I went off by myself to park the car. And then you know how dreams are. The dream skipped all over creation as I tried to find my way out of the parking garage and into this hospital. And it was kind of like this insane maze. You know, I kept trying different elevators and stuff and not getting anywhere. But uh, finally... I did make my way to the area of the hospital where I was supposed to meet back up with my ex-wife. And when she saw me, she jumped up, rushed over to me, and said, Jordan is here. Even in the dream, I had to have her repeat what she had just said because I couldn't believe it. Who? She repeated, Jordan. Jordan's here. He's already in the room. Apparently, Jordan was there to visit the same person that I was there to visit. And I never did find out who this person was. But I rushed toward the hospital room, completely forgetting that he had been killed in a car accident 15 years ago. And when I got close, here comes Jordan walking out of the hospital room, tall, a pretty girlfriend with him, holding hands, and he was lean and healthy-looking and obviously older. And he saw me, and he got a big smile on his face, and we rushed to each other and grabbed each other by the arms with great happiness, sort of like baseball players who have just pulled off a really spectacular play. You know, they kind of run to each other and grab each other by the arms and... uh, kind of do a little hoppity hop around and and that's kind of what we did in the dream how are you what are you doing here my god it's been forever i haven't been able to stop thinking about this dream it's the only time 
It's the only time I've ever dreamed of him having aged. As if his life had gone on beyond the accident. Also, my ex-wife wasn't just in the dream, but we were together. So you know how all that feels, all the old familiarity. Contrary to the way I sound right now, I like dreams like this. It allows me to uh, spend time with people that I care about, that I never get to see or spend time with anymore. And my brain recreates them in such perfect detail. All the unique aspects and mannerisms that make them who they are. Well, no point to any of this. I just thought I'd share. And also, telling the dream here sort of journals it so that I'll be reminded of it sometime later. Just this past Saturday, on Season 2, Episode 44, I wished for you to have the best week of all time and to have a spectacular weekend. How's that going for you? Fine and dandy, I hope. But if it ain't going so well, take a deep breath, slow things down, and simplify, simplify, simplify. Try to identify and address the underlying issues of maybe just one thing or two things. Do this rather than allowing yourself to be overwhelmed by an endless number of things that you perceive might be wrong with your life. Let me give you an example. If you've been temperamental lately and running on a short fuse, feeling frustrated and angry, is your anger the problem? Your anger is merely a symptom of the problem. So instead of looking at your life and thinking, holy mackerel, how am I going to keep from blowing up at people in 9,000 different daily situations, which is a heavy burden to juggle, you know, instead of doing that, simplify the job. How do you simplify the job? You simplify the job by sitting with yourself for just a little bit and trying to identify where this frustration or anger is coming from. Now, do you see how, instead of being overwhelmed, trying to preemptively imagine and control 9,000 different, unique, future, imaginary situations in a sort of superficial way, that is, you're still angry, You haven't done anything to address that, but you're trying to come up with solutions for how to act not angry in 9,000 different imaginary situations. Instead of the superficial approach, brush all that aside and instead focus on one single thing. And that one single thing is the cause or origin of this frustration and anger that you're feeling. Now you ain't overwhelmed with and carrying the burden of 9,000 different things. No, now you're instead tackling just one thing, which happens to be the only thing that matters. 
the why. Why are you walking around angry and out of sorts? You know, it might be as simple as an unpaid bill that you're not sure where you're going to get the money to pay. It really could be that simple. That one thing could be like a splinter in your toe that's just driving you crazy and making you bark like a rabid dog at your husband, your wife, or your kids. Now, do you have to remove the splinter to fix the problem? Or do you have to somehow find the money that will pay that bill in order to fix the problem? Well, that would be great, wouldn't it? But that does not necessarily have to happen. In many cases, simply identifying the true origin or cause of what we're feeling has the effect of allowing us to treat people better. Simply being conscious of the true cause of our frustration and now mindful of it allows us, when we get the urge to treat our children unfairly, to deflate our urge to be harsh, impatient, or unfair with them. Because we'd feel pretty ridiculous mistreating somebody we care about when we are fully aware that how we feel has nothing to do with them or anything they've done at all, right? That mindfulness that comes from simplifying and focusing on causes rather than being misdirected by the sleight of hand that is symptoms is pretty powerful. It gives us great power over ourselves and the situations we are experiencing. Let me tell you about thelastsymptom.com, and that is my website full of free resources. It's also an avenue where you can support my work financially if you're so inclined. By the time you're listening to this show, I'll be in the mountains in West Virginia on a four-day backpacking excursion, and this has been a long time coming. I think I've told you before that early on, I did do large portions of the Appalachian Trail, but it quickly lost favor with me. It's too popular. It's too tame. It's too artificial. You get into a camp and all the resources are depleted. You you can't even find firewood or kindling to get a fire started because a thousand people have been through there. So the only time that I choose for myself to willingly backpack the Appalachian Trail these days is in the dead of winter. And even then, there are too many people, which totally defeats the purpose of going into the quote-unquote wilderness in the first place for me. In the past few years, one of my best friends introduced me to another guy named Kevin. And so Kevin and I naturally became friends as well. And so now we have a natural threesome of buddies who regularly make plans to go out on backpacking excursions. Well, I'm just happy to have others to do these sorts of things with. And so what that means is that often I have to be willing to make concessions and be willing to allow others to make the decisions and plans and and for me to just go along with them. Because you know what? I then have leverage to later say, this time we're doing what I have in mind. This is a complete change, by the way, from how I used to be. 
before I recovered from borderline personality disorder. Ten years ago, I was very controlling, and I had very little patience for what other people lacked or wanted if I viewed it as stupid. Now, I am infinitely more accommodating and willing to wait my turn. All right, enough about that. Today's topic, the BCCCs of emotional health. What are the BCCCs of emotional health? You've been listening to me for forever, and you've never heard me reference this before. Well, that's because until the past few months, I never had a name for it. I had the concept fully in mind, but having a concept in mind and communicating it to other people are two different things. You know, this is how the, the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority worked out for me. I walked around for years understanding that law, but I didn't have a specific name to use to communicate it to other people. So, the BCCCs of emotional health, that's a B with three C's behind it. B, boundaries. C, communication. C, consequences. C, conditions. The BCCCs of emotional health are boundaries, communication, consequences, and conditions. How do they work? Well, first of all, you have to come to realize that you've been living without boundaries. To understand this fully, you have to imagine an emotionally healthy person and imagine why their life is emotionally healthy. Are, are they just allowing any sort of influences into their lives? No, they aren't. Because they are emotionally healthy, there are certain influences and aspects of life that they naturally don't want to allow and don't allow into their lives. So how do they control what gets into their lives and what has to stay out? Boundaries. Now, does the emotionally healthy person consciously think, I'm going to create a boundary here? No, they don't. Emotionally healthy people don't have to give these things names, and they don't have to follow some script by Brian Barnett and The Last Symptom, because a natural consequence of them growing up healthy and living healthfully is that they have always applied these laws and principles. It's just a natural benefit of having grown up healthy. They understand these things and live by them on an instinctual level. They don't need to have a name for boundaries because they aren't following a script. These are natural features of how they approach and live life simply as a natural result of being healthy and of having been raised healthfully. When an emotionally healthy person senses that something is not contributing to the overall balance of their emotionally healthy life, do you know what they do? They exclude it from their life. This is a boundary. Remember, boundaries are not something we put on others. Boundaries are something we have in place around ourselves. 
Have you ever gotten really heated with somebody in customer service and your voice begins to rise and you begin to get a little saucy and the lady stops you before you ever get completely revved up and she says, Sir, I will not tolerate you speaking to me that way. If you continue speaking to me abusively, I'll end this conversation. What happened? Well, you butted up against her healthy, invisible boundary, didn't you? She's not making any effort whatsoever to control you or make your decisions for you. But she will make a decision for herself and walk away and leave you there with nobody to abuse if you choose to continue, right? And what happens? Something in your brain says, there's no way I can stop her from ending her part of this conversation. I really need her help, but she's not going to tolerate being spoken to this way for much longer. So you dig in deep and you try to wrestle your emotions into submission because as angry as you are, you realize that whatever she chooses to do is entirely out of your control. So you might as well play the situation in a way that she is comfortable with so that you can achieve what you came in here for. In the past, I've likened boundaries to castles. All of us are castles. And each of us have a moat around us. Nothing can come in unless we allow it in. And how does that happen? It happens by the way we operate our drawbridge. Each of us have full control over our drawbridges. The sad thing is that for emotionally unhealthy people, they sadly believe that using their drawbridge is rude or offensive or unacceptable when it involves certain people like parents, like husbands, like wives, like cousins, like grandparents. Well, our primary responsibility is not to parents, and it's not to husbands, and it's not to wives, and it's not to cousins, and it's not to grandparents, is it? To whom is our primary responsibility? To ourselves. Do we ever consider other people's emotional, mental, and physical needs as superior to our own? Not if we're healthy. How are you going to be any good to anybody anyway if you're suffering an emotional breakdown? Or how are you going to be any good to anybody if you're suffering a mental breakdown? How about if you're physically incapacitated? So if your first reaction to me saying that other people's emotional, mental, and physical needs are not a greater priority than our own is to think that is a selfish view of things. You're not thinking it through very well. Our individual emotional, mental, and physical needs must be our priority. Who is responsible primarily for your adult neighbor's emotional, mental, and physical needs? Is it you? Is it the government? 
is it his wife? No, it's he himself. That's what being an adult is all about. We leave a state of dependence, and we develop to a state of independence. And this doesn't mean that we all instinctively know the best ways to care for our own individual emotional, mental, and physical needs. Instead, it simply means that we have the development to do so. We are capable of doing so, even if we're unable to do so because of ignorance or other factors. So our concern does not revolve around other people's sensitivities. I know we all live in a world right now that's sending you an opposite message. But really, other people's sensitivities can be anything. They can be anything. But they're not anything you have any control over whatsoever. We can't truly be in control of our individual lives if at the same time we are living our life according to other people's sensitivities. What does matter is our sensitivities when we're speaking about matters of emotional health. That's what you and I have authority and control over. And for matters of how you manage your own life, these are the only sensitivities that matter. And this brings us back to the drawbridge. You have total control over it. Anything that's in your life that's robbing you of health and peace and contentment, guess who's responsible for that? By the way, i got a thunderstorm coming down on me right now. And I'm hoping you can't hear it, but I'm, I'm just going to keep recording and hope that the show turns out well. So anyway, the question Anything that's in your life that's robbing you of health and peace and contentment, who is responsible for that? Is it the person robbing you of peace? No, because how are they able to get into your castle at all? They're only able to get in there at all because of the negligent person controlling the drawbridge. And you know who that is. So you may want to point a finger at the people stressing you out your mom, your husband, your sister, your uncle, your grandpa. But guess what? That's misdirection, and it's an illusion. Why are those people able to have continued access in your life to continue stressing you out? Because you yourself are choosing to allow it, despite the fact that it is bringing you greater disharmony, disorder, frustration, than it's bringing peace, contentment, and, and health. So this may be a heavy point for some people to truly grasp. They feel that family has certain inherent rights over them. But they don't. They did at one point in time, before you became an independent adult free agent. But that time is long behind you. And you haven't adopted to your new responsibilities to yourself very well. As an adult free agent, you are first and foremost responsible to whom? Your mother? No, grow up. As an adult free agent, you are first and foremost responsible to yourself. And what are you primarily responsible for now as an adult free agent? Your own 
emotional, mental, and physical well-being. So boundaries, they are a force field we put around ourselves that protects our emotional, mental, and physical needs and well-being. What is next up on the BCCCs of emotional health? Communication. As I said earlier, people who have grown up emotionally healthy live in harmony with the BCCCs of emotional health instinctively. They don't need to title the principles and laws they live by. They're just always living by them. So this is not one that people who have long histories of living emotionally healthy probably need to put into action very often. And let me explain what I mean. The communication part of the BCCCs of emotional health comes into play when we've been living without boundaries. And there are people in our life who have been long accustomed to you living without boundaries. So now you're educating yourself. You're beginning to wisen up about how unhealthy a style of life this has been. And you begin learning about boundaries and the proper way to implement them. So what do you do? Do you create a bunch of new boundaries, things that you're no longer going to tolerate, but then keep them a secret? Ah, now you see how the communication part of the BCCCs of emotional health comes into play. The situation is you've been living without boundaries, and a bunch of people in your life is used to interacting with you with no or few boundaries or boundaries that you in no way enforce, which means no boundaries at all, just a bunch of talk. And now... You want to move from living like this to truly living with boundaries. So the first step, as we've already mentioned, is first creating the boundaries. But the second step is just as important. It is clearly communicating these boundaries to the people in your life. This is only fair. You can't create boundaries and fairly expect the people in your life to suddenly begin honoring your boundaries if you haven't even communicated them. It's not fair for us to expect others to be mind readers. So, communication. We communicate the boundaries. And communicating will happen with each step in the BCCCs of emotional health, as you'll see. Next up, consequences. As I've explained in the past, there's absolutely no sense whatsoever in creating boundaries and communicating them to others if you're not going to concretely enforce real consequences for those who ignore your boundary. And guess what? They are going to ignore your boundaries for a while. Why? Because they've never had boundaries from you to respect before. And they don't know what life like this is like. So you should know, even when making your boundaries, that the people in your life are going to ignore them. Which means you should also know, even while making your boundaries, that you are going to have to create and follow through on consequences when it happens. 
Seriously, when you're creating your boundaries, just plan on this. It's not a matter of if you will need to communicate and follow through on a consequence. It's a matter of when. So let's go back to the lady in customer service. She tells me, listen, sir, I will not tolerate you talking to me that way. If it continues, I will end this conversation. What is the boundary? The boundary is, I will not allow myself to continue being spoken to in a certain manner. Did she communicate this? Yes, she did. And very clearly, in a way that is impossible to misconstrue or misunderstand. So she has now covered the first two letters in the acronym, B and C. Did she communicate a consequence for me failing to honor her boundary? Yes, she did. On the spot, she created and then communicated a perfectly reasonable consequence. What was it? Did she create some far-fetched consequence that she realistically has no way of enforcing or carrying out? For example, did she say, I'll have you arrested, or I'll make you talk to me more calmly? Did she say, I'll wait for you out in the parking lot and beat you up? <laughs> no. Notice that the consequence she has chosen is very practical and enforceable. Why? Because, again, it's a decision she has authority and power to make for herself. Do you see that? Boundaries in every aspect involves decisions and power we have over others? No. It's decisions and power we have over ourselves. So, the consequence she has chosen is that she will simply not continue to participate in her part of this discussion if I continue to ignore the boundary she has in place and has clearly communicated to me. Boom! This lady's good. If I continue getting louder and more abusive and she does not follow through on enforcing the consequence she has communicated to me, was there ever really a boundary? No. There was only the threat of a boundary, which means no boundary at all. If I continue getting louder and more abusive, she must follow through with the consequence she communicated. She must. Otherwise, I will keep coming into that store and being abusive to her, and I'll know that any threats she makes are only that. They're just empty, hollow words. Empty, hollow words do not protect our emotional health, okay? Empty, hollow words do not protect our emotional health and keep us safe and content in any way whatsoever, folks. But do you know what does? True boundaries and concrete consequences. All right, so now we've reached the final C of the BCCCs of emotional health. Conditions. We've created boundaries. We've communicated them. We've decided on concrete consequences that we will absolutely follow through on no exceptions when others ignore our boundaries, and we have communicated these as well. Finally, we create conditions 
that others can meet if they want to be allowed to continue in relationships with us or if we want to allow them an opportunity to come back once they have been excluded. And as always, we communicate this. So back to the lady in customer service. I ignore her boundary, and then she follows through on the consequence. She turns and walks off without another word, probably to go talk to her manager. (laughs) And I'm left standing there, seething, empty-handed, I've now thoroughly shot myself in the foot because of my failure to simply respect her reasonable boundary and to believe that there would be a consequence for doing so. So she's turned and walked off and left me there just burning on fire. And after a few minutes, maybe I wander around the store a bit, I start to calm down. And I realize what a jerk I was being. And I start to have regrets. After a while, the lady comes back to the desk and she says, Sir, now if you are willing to calmly tell me your problem, I will try to help you. What has she just done? She has created a condition and communicated it that allows me an opportunity for redemption. What is the condition? The condition is if I remain calm. So I agree to her condition, and I stay calm. I realize this lady's not playing around. She absolutely follows through on a thing once she says it, and the rest of our interaction goes off well. I probably even apologized to her at the end for losing my cool. Of course, there is always the possibility that I'm still angry and feeling slighted, and so just to shoot myself in the other foot, I refuse her conditions and I march out of the store. That also is a real possibility. The BCCCs of emotional health are not a guarantee that others will do what we hope they will do. If you believe this is the purpose of the BCCCs of emotional health, you've missed the point. The BCCCs of emotional health are your way of maintaining your emotional health and inner contentment and managing what you will or will not allow in your life. Again, it bears repeating that boundaries and consequences and conditions are not things we throw up on other people. They seem that way, but they're not. They're things we throw up on ourselves. Even consequences, if you noticed, are not something we do to other people. They affect other people. But they are simply decisions we have authority to make over we ourselves about what we will do or not do moving forward. So now you have the template. It's your job to really think this through and apply it to the specifics of your circumstances. For example, some of you have husbands that you've been married to for a hundred years and you've never properly lived with boundaries. 
the two of you. And now you are genuinely beginning to see the importance of them, and you're trying to implement them into a new, healthy approach to living. Is it going to be enough to create a condition that, uh, for example, if your husband is abusive, you'll go into another room and not talk to him? Probably not, because if he doesn't respect the boundary, what makes you think he's going to respect the consequence that is really unforceable in a house that he partly owns? He'll just follow you into the other room, maybe kick the door down if he has to, and he'll keep raging at you. So I want you to take this template, which uses a very common everyday situation as the model, and be realistic and be creative. A serious violation of a boundary must have an equally serious consequence. Maybe the consequence you settle on will be to leave for two weeks. And the condition you create upon your return might be that he must not speak to you abusively. And if he does, you will go away again and not come back unless he's in therapy. These are just ideas, okay? I can't tell you what to do because your circumstances are all unique. These are ideas. It's your responsibility to follow the template, but to come up with your own specifics. In my case, with my dad, I preferred to set my boundaries, communicate them, express the consequences, and then express the conditions for us to have a, a reunited relationship through letters. I preferred this because my father has a way of confusing me and getting me tangled up in a live conversation. He can twist things. I can misspeak. I can forget to include something important that I wanted to include. But when I write a letter, I'm able to spend as much time as I need writing it. I can get my thoughts down precisely and even sit around with it for a while before deciding to send it. I can make changes or additions. When he gets the letter... He has nobody to argue with. He can't interrupt me, you see. A letter allows me to create and apply and communicate the BCCCs of emotional health and have a captive audience. And remember, this audience is usually irrational and unreasonable. So you need them to be captive. And afterwards, my conscience is perfectly clear if my father does absolutely nothing to meet my conditions or respect my boundaries, and now I have to concretely enforce the consequences that I very clearly communicated to him in precisely the way that I'd hoped to communicate them. I enforce the boundary. I follow through on the consequences, knowing very well that it is he himself making this decision for himself this is what allows me to live with a perfectly clear conscience, even though the results may not be what I hope for. Because, remember, it's not me choosing to make that relationship an impossibility. It is in reality he himself making that decision. Whether he fully appreciates this reality or not, it is the reality. I'm responsible for being a responsible caretaker of my emotional, mental, and physical needs first. I don't put other people's sensibilities first, 
at the expense of my own emotional health. Not even if that person is my father. Living by the BCCCs of emotional health is not only in my best interest, it's also in my father's best interest. If everybody in his life had lived by the BCCCs, would he have any choice but to do some self-examination, figure out where his perspectives and his emotional health and his view of the world is wrong and correct it? No, he, he would have every opportunity and reason to do so. But because I'm the only person in his life living by the BCCCs and I get no support from anybody else in my family in this regard, it's very easy for him to arrogantly say, well, Brian is being unreasonable. But am I? Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. I'm the only one truly doing something out of love for myself and for him that can truly be considered loving. My insistence and firmness in this area is a demonstration of genuine love towards my father. I want him to be healthy. I refuse to enable him and to contribute to an emotionally unhealthy relationship or way of life. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so glad you tolerated me today. I don't know if you're going to hear all that thunderstorm and stuff in the background during this program. I'm, as soon as I finish recording here, I'm going to go to edit it, and we will see. But if you do, I hope that uh, you're able to listen through the background noise to really absorb the information of today's show. I think it's uh, probably going to be one of the most important shows, uh, a special show, that I will designate as such so that the most people will have an opportunity to benefit from it. Hope you're having a wonderful week. As I usually say, be good and kind and patient with yourselves. Run over to thelastsymptom.com. Support my work if you're so inclined. Take advantage of the free resources and be good to yourself. I will talk to you next week, same place, same time, hopefully. I'm grabbing my backpack and heading out to the mountains. God willing and the crick don't rise, or if I don't get eaten by a bear, I'll see you back here next week. Mm-hmm.